0: It's
1: the
0: next level. Hmm? Ah! Hmm. Oh. I'm not happy about the arrangement that was made with you, Michael, but... we got more than we've hearkened for when Walt joined us, so... I suppose this is what's best. And you let me go, set me free. You lived up to your word. We live up to our word too. Do you know how to drive a boat? Yeah, I can drive a boat. Good, then you're gonna take this boat and follow a compass bearing of three, two, five. And if you do that exactly, you and your son will find rescue. Well,
1: that's it? I followed the bearing and me and my son get rescued?
0: Yes. How do you know I won't tell people about where I was? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But it won't matter. Once you leave, you'll never be able to get back here. And my hunch is you won't say a word to anybody. Because if you do, people will find out what you did to get your son back. My friends, I was promised you wouldn't hurt them. Deal's a deal. Are you people? We're the good guys, Michael.
2: Hey, Kristen. What? What did one snowman say to the other? Smells like carrots. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to start with that. That was fun. Uh, Welcome to another episode. I was
3: so annoyed because I was like, it's taken us an hour to get started. And all of a sudden, we're not starting again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, we're starting. This is actually the podcast right now.
0: Uh,
3: But I
2: figured, you know, it's a season finale and we're going to have a lot to talk about. So... I'd start with that. Start no, with I something like fun. It. I it. love it. <laughs> but welcome to another episode of We Have to Go Back, Lost, Revisited. Uh, I am one of your wonderful co-hosts, Ben
3: Beck. I am the best co-host, Kristen Howell. I'm not fighting you on that one. <laughs> uh, oh, this episode, we've reached the second season's end. As we break down the two-part finale, episodes 23 and 24, Live Together, Die Alone.
2: And yeah, we uh we've been doing some prep. We have a lot of notes for this this week's episode this week's episode of the podcast.
3: Yeah, meaty episode.
2: Yeah, very meaty episode, two part episode, and I had more notes than usual just by the end of episode of the first half of this, and then going into the second half of this, which is where a lot of other stuff happens. It's, yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about this week, and I'm looking forward to it, because this is an amazing season finale for this
3: year. Yeah, and you know, I can't believe that we actually were at the end of season two. Like, the beginning is over. (laughs) We're going uh, into a completely new phase of the show. We've been doing this now for, I think, what, a year? Over a year. A little over a year? So, you know, it's just like there's just it's a lot of transition and and it's exciting, but it's also like, oh, it's the first part's over.
2: But at the same time, you know, we're finished season two, but we still have 72 more episodes of this series to cover.
3: Oh, I know. So
2: we're we're still going to be bringing this podcast for at least another two years
3: and the length of Manifest.
2: Uh, well that too (laughs) yeah if we continue on with manifest (laughs) at the same time but you know we've talked about it before that once we're done with lost uh we want to keep going you know the whole we have to go back thing doesn't necessarily have to relate just to lost we can pick another show that you know we maybe something neither one of us has seen before so we get a fresh take on it yeah and jump into that
3: good not dexter perfect
2: yeah god no because i don't want to talk about the series finale of that show Ever.
3: Or the last season as a whole.
2: Yeah, I don't want to talk about a past season four, but I know you. You we differ on that one.
3: Yeah, see, the Barrel Girls season is my favorite. That's because Julia season, Styles. I'm a big fan of her. Season six, I think. Five.
2: Season five. Okay. Welcome to. We have to go back. Dexter Welcome to our
3: lost podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We have a lot to talk about, uh, but before we do that, obviously, spoiler alert! This is a spoiler full podcast. We're going to be talking about spoilers from the past and the future of the series. So, again, apologies if you're rewatching for the first time. If we we spoil anything, although I don't know, I'm sure there's going to be one or two things, but I think a lot of this conversation is going to have to deal primarily with what happened this week.
3: Yeah, I maybe. don't know if.
2: I don't know. I'm sure we're going to jump ahead a little bit, but not nearly as much as we have in the past couple of weeks.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, I can agree with that. But,
2: but we have a lot to break down. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into the episode. And as always, I'm going to kick it off with you. I, I don't know where you would even start with this episode. So where do you want to start?
3: I am starting with Charles Dickens. Okay. So I... Um, as we know, Desmond is a huge fan of Charles Dickens, and he makes reference to this book, um Our Mutual Friend," which is the last piece of literature that charles dickens uh or that Desmond has left to read of the author that he loves so much. So I did a little bit of digging, and uh Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cruz coos Cruz coos coos. I I never, as we know, I'm real good with names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, I did some digging, and it turns out that the showrunners found out that John Irving did the same thing that he saved our mutual friend for the very last thing that he would read at the end of his life. And he had a copy of our mutual friend in every single one of his homes in case uh, the end of his life happened to be in one of his homes, which I think is very interesting. Uh, So they kind of borrow from that and they apply it to Desmond's character. What's cool is, is that our mutual friend is known as Charles Dickens's most challenging work. And it's known famously for its rushed ending. Um, now the story itself is, it's called a shaggy dog story, which I actually learned that term when I was uh, doing research for Game of Thrones with why Rickon's, uh, dire wolf was named shaggy dog and shaggy dog is actually it like it, it's of a, a story that doesn't really have an end or a point. Like they're kind of wondering what exactly all of it was for much like the character of uh Rickon Stark, but also uh, this particular story, I guess it raises more imaginative possibilities than it delivers. So, What's interesting is that it's kind of ironic because that's what a lot of people feel about Lost is that there are always more questions than there are answers and that a lot of people felt at the end of this story, um, I'm not really one of them, but that's okay, that it had a rushed and um, unfulfilled ending and so I just think that it's really interesting that they chose our mutual friend as the work that Desmond carried around with him and the irony it kind of creates when you look at the uh, story of Lost. So um, the story itself is actually about somebody. Now, I I didn't write it down, of course, but... Um, the story of our mutual friend actually has to do with somebody coming out of their father's grip and they didn't want to be um, they didn't want their family money. They wanted to the character wanted to actually be able to be successful on his own merit, which is interesting because I think that that is closely resembled to the Penny and Desmond story about yeah, Charles Woodmore's. Money?
2: Yeah, that's a great reflection on Desmond that you find out from this this episode.
3: Well, and what's funny is that he's carrying around the story and he has no idea what it's about, but it's, it's a story that he is actually living. So it's funny that if he were to actually read it, he would find a lot of comfort and he would find a lot of parallels in his own life, which um, I think is really interesting, which is also another ironic point of this entire of this entire thing. Um, and lastly, what I'll say about this is that the showrunners, um, they were able to really relate to Dickens and him kind of like as an author when they were, um, doing Lost, just because they realized that Charles Dickens was actually under deadline for a lot of his works. And he would write chapters that he had to publish every single week, no matter what, uh, to, to the newspapers, because they published his chapters. And so the showrunners were actually, um, they, they wondered a lot and they discussed a lot about how many times that Charles Dickens kind of flew by the seat of his pants and just wrote something to get it out, um, or how much of it was actually planned out. And for them to say that in an interview, it raises, uh, again, it raises questions and suspicions, and even maybe an interesting um, discussion about how much of their their show in Lost was actually panned out versus flying by the seat of their pants. My guess is that they had to do some quick maneuvering as far as this point in the show, especially with Walt and the way that he was probably intended to be used, but didn't, actually get to be used because of the fact that he was getting older and they couldn't use him anymore. Cause they couldn't freeze him as a kid uh, for the time period. So they probably had to change their story. And then Libby, I don't know if they had to um, add her to the death list with Anna Lucia, who was already going to be out because Michelle Rodriguez was going to be a one and done kind of character. Uh, so it, there's just like all of these weird suspicions that maybe they really related to with Charles Dickens. And then the addition of our mutual friend and the storyline being what it is and how it relates to Desmond and Penny and um, you know, the story itself. I don't know. I just found all of this. I just got lost in just kind of how our mutual friend and Charles Dickens and the, and lost and Desmond and Penny, all of it kind of fit together in this weird, um, like map of a puzzle. And I just found it fascinating. And I couldn't wait to talk about that at the top of the show.
2: No, and, and that's great because there's a lot of connections there and a lot of reflections that I didn't even really pick up on. I I love the fact that you brought up, you know, that this is a book he's never read before, but unbeknownst to him, he's living out the story in his own way. Uh, you know, that's such a great realization and something I didn't even think about because I wasn't even completely familiar with what the story Our Mutual Friend was even about. So that's such a great that's such a great realization that you brought up.
3: Yeah, thanks. I thought that it so, was kind of cool. Cuz we you know, know I, that they I'm, don't do anything on they don't do anything by accident on this show. I think everything no. is very specifically placed. So the fact that they put such attention on this book in this episode, I just and I've never read it, so I decided just to kind of do some research on on the uh, on the book.
2: Yeah. But it's funny how you went kind of down like a literary hole with, you know, with our mutual friend. And I kind of went down a philosophical hole a little bit. Uh, continuing on with, you know, t- we're going to talk a lot about Desmond this episode because he's
3: Yay. such a an-
2: he's such an engaging character and of course this is the episode where we really get to know desmond i mean this is a two-part episode where unlike the season one finale where there were no flashbacks of any characters this is a two-part finale in which both episodes focus primarily on desmond especially in the flashbacks Mm -hmm. so the fact that they're spending a finale giving us flashbacks of a character we haven't even met yet in realization i mean we met him for a couple minutes uh in this in the premiere but we're we're now getting a full realization of his character, you know, speaks a lot about the character of Desmond. So we're, we're going to talk a lot about him. But, you know, in researching a little bit, as you did, too, I found out that, uh, you know, we find out through the course of the flashback that Desmond's real name is Desmond David Hume. Uh, David Hume was actually a Scottish Enlightenment philosopher who Hmm. lived back in the 1700s. He is a very obvious nod to uh, the David Hume philosopher. But what I found interesting about that, excuse me, is uh, Hume in his real life was influenced by the works of John Locke.
3: Oh my uh, gosh, an, that's so an cool! An
2: actual, real-life John Locke, um, and John Locke, who was a person whose theories uh, were things such as people's consent of government, man in the state of nature, and uh, you know, Dev- David Hume in real life also believed that reality was relative and might be a figment of one's imagination, which really plays in deeply to the whole struggles that him and Locke and echo. All kind of go through in different ways as to whether or not what's happening in the hatch is real or if it's all an illusion. Uh huh. So going down that path of that whole philosophy path, I found that so interesting when you put that in comparison to everything that's going on. And you know, like you said with Linda and Cues, these guys knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They absolutely knew what they were doing with the show. And when it comes to the reflection of you know, whether or not they're flying by the seat of their pants or they knew where they were going with it, I think they definitely knew where the story was going. There were some things that had to be changed. I, ha- I do have some notes about the whole Cynthia Watros uh, element. I have notes about Michael Emerson when it comes to this episode, but there is a major, major clue, and we'll talk about it later. I don't want to get into it now. There is a major clue in this episode that proves. Once and for all, by the end of season two, the people who thought they were dead the whole time are out of their minds. There is one thing that happens in this episode that, if you think about it, proves everything that on ha- that happened on this island was real. And we'll get to that in a little bit. I don't know if you know what it is, but you we'll don't. Get to it and I'm way.
3: really, I'm like, I'm racking my brain right now.
2: Um, I will. Uh, We'll get we'll get to it because it's towards the end of the finale that the moment happens. Uh, You know what? I'll just talk about it now. Thank you. (laughs) Because I know
3: it's probably going to bother you. Yeah, it will. And Um, actually, I won't be able to concentrate. So (laughs) and, and
2: I will just simply call this note. Meanwhile, at the tracking station. And the very last moments of this episode, we see the, the, the Portuguese scientists yes. at a tracking station mm-hmm. finding the, electrical, the electromagnetic anomaly. They call Penny, who we'll talk about in a bit, uh, and says that they found it. Notably, they found the island. If everything that happened on that goddamn island was them in purgatory, how does something in real life off the island also relate to it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't. That everything mm-hmm. that was on that island was real. They were never yeah. dead the whole time.
3: Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I like it.
2: So so to anybody listening or to anybody out there who knows somebody who thinks and still believes to this point, they were dead the whole time, and that's why they didn't like the finale, point them to that scene, because that scene in particular proved by the end of season two, four seasons before the show ended, everything was real.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Good point. So. I did like that scene too. They're all. They're, it's a. It's
2: it's a great scene. They're I like, mean, did we
3: miss it? I. Did we miss it again? <laughs> when they said, did we miss it again? So they probably missed that. What they missed before was the other time where the system failed when when Desmond wasn't there because he was ki- killing Kelvin. And then yes. the plane crashed. So that's, oh, I'm sure that's, that's exactly probably what, what they were referencing that to. Did we miss it again? Because they probably missed it that time. And this time, this time was real big.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is like, there's no denying it this time. If they right. missed it, they would have never got it again.
3: Right. That was it. That was the last chance.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know what? I want to talk about so, like, since I just kind of like, piggybacked on yours with yeah, the philosophical it. thing.
3: But that was really cool, uh, right? Like Charles Dickens and everything. Like, I just thought that was really, really cool.
2: Oh, no, that that's absolutely really cool. Like I said, I love the reflection of how he was living out that story of a book he's never read, but, you know, was saving for the end of his life. And it makes me wonder if he would have saved that book for the rest of his life. Had things played out in the hatch the way they were starting to where he read that book and then shot himself you know to commit suicide Mm -hmm. would would because we do see penny's note fall out and it's kind of something that saves him a little bit um you know had penny's note not fallen out and had john not been at the hatch at that time as we see would things would i i'm wondering if reading that story would have still saved his life.
3: I'll bet. I'll bet you're right. I, I'll bet that it did. That it would. Absolutely.
2: Because he would have realized that was what his life was mm-hmm. like when he was reading it.
3: It would have motivated still, him to finish what he started.
2: Yeah, I. I think that. I think reading that book, whether Penny's note, you know, without Penny's note, without John Locke, had everything played out the way it was supposed to, with him reading the book and then shooting himself. I still think that book alone would have saved his life. Hmm. So, and that's something I didn't think about until you brought up the whole point of Dickens.
3: Oh well, Dickens, David Hume, John Locke. I mean, like I'm on a big reading kick right now, and I'm going to just be devouring whatever I can. I'm going to add these guys to my lists, and I'm going to start doing some research, and it'll be fun. Yeah. We should start a lost book club.
2: Oh, and just read and just refer to books that were. That used would in the show, lost. Yeah, it'd be oh, a nice a way them. to
3: kick it off for the third season with another certain book club coming up.
2: Uh, with another certain book club coming up,
3: the book, I don't know what you're referencing. Season three premiere book club.
2: I I don't know what Juliet. You, has, oh yes,
3: <laughs> I don't God. know how far I have to go. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
2: I guess I'm out of the book club. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That would be a good tie in though. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of cool.
3: And I think they're uh, reading a Stephen King book.
2: I can't remember. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll yes, find we will. Out probably next week. Because mm-hmm. uh, man, I wanted to jump right into it too. I, I did. wanted to jump right into season three. Oh, I did. So um, I'm going to break away from Desmond for a minute okay. because we, we do talk, we, we're Trust me, there's a lot more of Desmond to go when it comes to. Th- I'm just warning you right now. If you haven't already guessed it, this is probably going to be a relatively longer episode than usual uh, because we are talking about two episodes and it is a finale. So, but I want to switch to the Libby character for a minute. Um, I mentioned a little bit more about the Cynthia Watros aspect of it, and you know, we talked last week about how I feel like the whole sin- we're putting to bed the whole. Theory that Cynthia watch was written off because of the DUI. I I don't believe that anymore. I didn't believe that after last week and after this week, I really don't believe it. And here's my reasoning why I picked up on something in my rewatch this week that I've never picked up on before. It's a connection. that's always been there. It slapped me in the face, but I never really fully caught the concept. And that is in Desmond's flashback, we see that moment where Desmond meets Libby in the coffee shop uh, and Libby loans him the money because he still has he hasn't converted his money yet. So Libby gives him the four dollars for his coffee for being one of the numbers. Right. Um, and then we get that whole conversation about, you know, how he's, you know, he he's raising money because he says, I hope, do you have 42,000 more of them? 42 being another number. Uh Uh-huh. We get the whole conversation about how he's spending uh, the next eight months, eight being another number, uh, getting in the best shape of his life before he does this boat race, but he needs a boat. And, you know, the whole conversation with Libby and her husband, who passed away, named David. Think about that one for a minute. Who's the person that Hurley kept seeing?
3: David. David. Dave.
2: Yep. Who was also in the same mental institution that Libby was in. How much do you want to bet Libby was in the institution too? It's never revealed because she was seeing visions of her husband. Her husband, Dave.
3: So you think Hurley and Libby could see Dave? They
2: were... Yes, I think they were connected. This is just a theory because it's never been proven. But I think they were in there and they could both see Dave.
3: I think that that is awesome and we should just make it true.
2: Yeah, I, I think so, too. I'm saying that's what it is. So, uh, but Oh, my a-
3: gosh. I've never. No, seriously, that is insane. I have never, ever, ever put that together. I, I'm sure maybe other people have, but I haven't.
2: Well, that's not even the realization I, I, the connection I made. That's one I made this time too, but that's not even the other connection that I made. When she made the connection, and this goes into my reasoning as to why I believe Cynthia Watros was part of the story and not written off. She goes on to tell Desmond that she, she she would think her husband would want him to have the boat, the boat named Elizabeth, which is the boat that they see off the Island. Mm -hmm. I think Libby, Libby's story arc went the way it was because had Libby not been shot in the hatch, that event would have played out so differently because Libby would have recognized that boat.
3: Yes. Well, she would and have I absolutely really,
2: recognized that boat. I
3: really loved the fact that Desmond's Desmond's whole little journey as seems to be bookended by Libby in that boat. You know, it was really um it was really quite poetic that Desmond showed up on the boat during Libby's funeral. Yes, I thought absolutely. that was beautiful. Uh, for whatever you know, poetic meaning that that had, I, it was almost like just paying tribute one more time to Libby, and and that was really nice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that way too. It's almost as if, even though Libby's character was gone, her. I guess her spirit, even um, or her presence, is still felt in that moment. Like she's still, because of the fact that the boat was named after her, she's still technically there.
3: Although, if she had different form, if she hadn't died, it would have been really awesome for her to actually sail the boat with Saeed to the other side of the island to help Hurley.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So
3: maybe. Maybe that was the plan, and they decided to use Jin and Son instead and change the story slightly that way. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, they, you know, just showing up at Anna Lucia's funeral. I don't know. And she's but, like, what's you know, my boat doing here? <laughs> it, it, but, you know, it's... We...
2: When we, when I talk about that whole scene with you know Libby giving uh, Desmond the boat, and her telling that story about how her husband had just passed away, and Desmond's going to win the race for love, it really makes the Hurley and Libby element of everything kind of play out a little bit more heartbreaking because we've seen it from one side we've seen it from hurley's side is in like hurley has found love in libby and it's ripped away but when you look at it from libby's point of view too this is most likely the first love she's had since her husband in hurley and it's ripped away from her when her life is taken away yeah so it's it's just as heartbreaking from the libby perspective than it is from hurley because she's lost her life and her chance at a second chance of love so like I, I there's so much more in that whole scene with desmond and libby than libby just giving her the boat living just giving desmond the boat there's so much more to that scene when you actually look at it and break it down and the dave thing the dave connection i thought was fantastic because mm-hmm. that was another one i came to watch
3: well too. no that's now officially true in my head
2: is that that's why Libby was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. She was seeing Dave. Yeah. Dave was Libby's husband.
3: Yes. Yes. So they look about but, the same age. Uh,
2: I could see it. I mean, I don't see why not. hmm. So, uh, what about you? What's something else that you want to, you kind of focus on a little Well,
3: bit? Libby was, Libby was one of them. So, um, I thought it was great. I thought that it was good that we saw her as, you know, sane and lucid, suggesting that she wasn't always crazy. And, uh, you know, that her it was her husband's death that did end up putting her in the hospital. I thought that that was a really um, just a nice little tribute. So that made me happy. And then just the boat showing up while we were saying goodbye to Libby. It was kind of like she's still there. And she brought yeah. Desmond to the island. And Desmond is just such a huge and integral part of the story from here on out. Um, it's really, you know, quite the gift from Libby. <laughs> <You> no. <know? laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what we could do is we could talk about let me just look through my notes here. Um because we've kind of touched on a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Just in, yeah. in oh, the Oh, just on
2: a lot of notes. No, no, no never, but what I'm on. saying
3: is is we've touched on a lot of stuff that we could have gone off on a tangent. So I'm trying to think if there's something oh well so let's talk about Let's talk about the other story, the the A story, if you will. And that's, um, you know, Jack, Sawyer, Kate, Hurley, and Michael all making that trek across. Um, okay. I
2: have a lot of notes on this, by the way.
3: Oh, cool. Okay. Well, you know, I just, I can't help but just think that if, Everybody had just communicated the entire time about what was really happening, that maybe Michael um, wouldn't have left in such a in such a horrible way, you know, with such betrayal. Um, They could have put together a formidable plan so that it wasn't Jack, Kate and Sawyer with guns pointed at their heads. You know, last week I talked a lot about how I don't know what I would do if I was forced in this position um, with my kids as far as their lives go. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's, it's heinous to think that maybe I could have, you know, killed Ana Lucia accidentally killed Libby and just told myself it would be okay. But, there's no way I would be able to look at my friends in the eye who were willing to risk their lives to go save my kid knowing that I was going to put them in danger eventually, especially mm-hmm. after everything that I'd done. And, you know, Michael just saying, I'm sorry, I didn't have a choice. There was no other way. This was the only way. It, it just, after a while, it's like, just shut up. You know, it was just awful when when that black smoke comes rising over and then Jack is just like, "Okay, you know what? The gig is up like we're clearly not going where we're supposed to be going. You know, you're suspicious because, you know, the gun wasn't loaded. Like, let's have it out right here. What the hell is going on? You know, Um, yeah, I just. In that moment, it's like you just you hate Michael so much. And then when he admits that he killed Anna, Lucy and Libby, I'm surprised they didn't beat the shit out of him right then and there. I really am. Well,
2: there is a lot of emotion in that scene and multiple different emotions. Um, You know, you're right, because we we have that heart. See, I I read that scene a little differently. I do agree with you where it's. You know, you kind of get tired of Michael a little bit in that scene because you're right. There are other ways that this could have played out that would have saved more people's lives that probably would have gotten things done more efficiently. But when you're in the heat of that moment, uh, there are other things on your mind than thinking logically. So I can still kind of understand why things played out the way they did. That's not to say I don't agree with you that things could have played out differently, but I understand why they did so. When we get to that scene where Jack finally calls Michael out, like, you know, where are you taking us? And he's like, tell, you know, why don't you tell them the truth? There's a lot of different emotion. There's there's heartbreak in Michael's face. Like you can tell he is deeply and genuinely sorry for what he did. It's not it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it, um, you know, better that he's apologizing for it. But you can see there's genuine heartbreak in his in his eyes, that he's very sorry for what he did. And then you go to the next moment where the camera pans to Hurley and you see Hurley with that look where it clicked Michael's the one that killed Libby and killed Anna Lucia. And the heartbreak now shifts. The heartbreak shifts to Hurley. And because of that, now your emotion towards Michael has kind of flipped to anger
3: uh, and you're maybe. kind of hoping I, mine mine came before that.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm talking about me. Okay. Like, this is the way it played out for All me. Right. And then and then you do kind of get that hope like, OK, Hurley's going to snap and I'm going to be OK with it if it happens. And but Hurley is a better person than that. Like, he's just like, no, I'm going back. Like, I'm I'm done. I'm done with this. I want nothing to do with this. And you kind of understand Jack being like, no, if like we've committed at this point, I'm sorry, I lied to you, but we have to go through with it. Kind of, I know we haven't used this phrase yet, but it kind of makes Jack a little bit of an asshole. Uh, And (laughs) I have a couple other time, I have a couple other mentions of that in my notes for this episode. But just the look, there's, there's another scene where when after Michael admits that he has he's done what he's done there's another scene where the camera pans to Jack and this is actually a piece of brilliant acting I think this is a great piece of acting from Matthew Fox even though it's only like three seconds where in a matter of a second when it camera pans to him you could see the anger and then he drops his head in total frustration and sadness mm-hmm. like and, and not only frustration and sadness but also realization that he could partially be to blame for this
3: mm-hmm.
2: like I, I think there's a lot of self reflection in that moment that things could have gone so much differently he he he's heard this from Saeed he didn't want to believe it but now that it's been spoken it's true and he didn't want to believe it yeah there's so much in this scene to break down even though the scene is literally 30 seconds long and but I think uh, you know I, I bring up the whole Jack was an asshole moment Again, it's great acting from every actor in this scene. Mm -hmm. All of them.
3: Well, so originally uh, the showrunners were going to have it be that Sawyer also was done and wanted to go back with Hurley because he didn't want to be a part of it, knowing that Anna Lucia had died had, had been killed by Michael. Um, but they decided to leave that part out. I guess that there's like either a deleted scene or something like that where they just left it out. And they said that they regretted it um, in like, looking back on it just because that would have stayed true to Sawyer's character for him to speak up because he's always angry when you know other people are wrong and that's like a really great part of Sawyer but they left it out to like condense the scene a little bit more just because there was way too much to put into the episode so it's a shame that they had to leave that out because that would have added to an already beautiful scene
2: yeah yeah I can see that for sure um you know, and we talked a little bit about this last week. When it comes to Sawyer's character, I'll just make this in quick passing because it, it doesn't. There's not a lot of discussion that needs to go behind it. But we talked about, you know, over the past week or two, how Sawyer is the character. He he stands kind of rebellious, but when the time comes down to it, he's the first person to to make a move and defend people and rescue people. Like he puts his life on the line when it comes down to it. And the moment needs to be there. He doesn't hesitate. Like when it came to the heroin, he was stepped up like I'll be back in 20 minutes. Didn't question it. Didn't question whether or not anything that needed to happen. It needed to be done. He did it.
3: Yeah. There's another
2: moment. I I was just going to say, there's another moment in this episode where we kind of get that. And that's, You know, when the boat shows up at the beach in the very beginning of this, of episode 23 of part one, Jack, Saeed and Sawyer are the three people to jump in and swim to the boat. And that whole time, whether he's got a difference with Saeed, whether he's got differences with Jack, Sawyer's on that boat. He has Jack and Saeed's back. Yeah,
3: Sawyer's the only guy. Yeah, Sawyer, I think, is the only guy who could put differences aside and just like get the job done and know who's on his side and who isn't on his side. Like he's always been really good at that. You know, a lot of other, a lot of the other characters, I'd say a good 90% of the other characters, they let their personal feelings totally get in the way of getting what needs to yeah. get done. Sawyer always knows when it's time to act and he knows what's important and what's trivial. And it enrages other people because what they think is important really isn't important in the long run, but it's like Sawyer has, like radar for it or something it's really it's it's a very cool person uh character trait that he has i I, i'm glad that it it's there for him because it makes him human and it makes him very likable
2: oh yeah absolutely um one of the other notes i wanted to make about this too this is actually going back a little bit before uh that whole breakdown of you know Michael admitting everything that he did is, and I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are on this too, and whether or not you see this the same way. But we kind of see Kate step up. Kate steps up in a major way this episode. Oh, when like they're being followed, ready. yes. Well, not only that, but I mean, when we get that whole thing, I mean, we have before she's even being followed. There's something else that happens before that. And I'm trying to remember what it is now. And of course, I didn't write that in my notes. All I wrote was Kate steps up. Uh, it, there's. The, oh, the, the it's because followed. she
3: reveals uh, that she knew that the hillbilly act was fake.
2: Well, no, even there's something else. Oh, avoiding Russo's trap.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. They got caught in a net. like sh-
2: Well, (laughs) yes, which brings up the whole (laughs) caught in a net discussion where Sawyer's like, oh, I thought that was something completely different. And, you know, the truth of caught in a net coming out as actually meaning really caught in a net was just actually
3: caught in a (laughs) net. (laughs)
2: but seeing Kate really step up as somebody who could potentially lead this group, if it ever came down to it, you know, of knowing Russo's traps and knowing she's really got a feel for this island at this point and knowing that they're being followed and willing to take action at the point that they're being followed. It was a little impulsive, but it still doesn't mean she's not, somebody who could potentially be a leader of this group. But
3: also think about it. Of course she took action. She's been snuck up on by these people. She's been caught by these people, bound by these people, gagged by these people, used against her own friends by these people. So the fact that she sees them and springs into action, I think that's showing that she learns from what has happened to her, which not a lot of people can say that for themselves on this island. There's a lot of people that don't learn from their experience They, you know, like, they're very reactionary. You know, they're very secretive. But Kate's like, no, man, I'm being followed. I'm going to take these fuckers out right now.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's tired of it. I mean, you know, she's been captured and everything, as you mentioned. She's done with that. Like, she's not going to be the weak person that people might impulsively or instinctively say that she is. Right,
3: right. Well, and and, and she's stepping up, you know, and, and I love it that they go against, you know, the fact that the women are always the emotional ones or whatever, like in this instance, the men were kind of emotional, you know, Michael's crying by a tree and Jack's yelling into the woods and, you know, and Kate's like, "No, man, we're G.I. Janing this shit. Let's go. You know, (laughs) I thought it was great.
2: (laughs) G.I. Janing the shit. I love it. (laughs) I love that.
3: Um, One of the things that I thought was really cool was that uh, speaking about Uh, Michael crying in the woods. And, uh, (laughs) and Michael's like, Oh, thanks, Jack, I really appreciate you helping me get my boy. And Jack replies with the episode title, right? Live together, die alone. I think that that's also really telling about the fact that, you know, Michael is acting alone, and he's kind of dying to the group, you know, all these people that are really embracing this live together, die alone. And they're like, no, man, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And Michael's like, no, just me and my boy. That's all that matters. Fuck the rest of you. I'll kill anybody that gets in the way of that. I mean, it's a really kind of a big display of what that term live together, die alone really means.
2: Well, not only that, but I kind of feel like that moment wasn't just—I and you know—it it was twofold. I think you're right. I think it's it's really telling of the situation that they were in. But I feel like at that same time, that was almost Jack's last opportunity of telling Michael, "If you have something to tell, tell me. Now's your chance." You know, like oh, you're,
3: absolutely. That's a you, great point.
2: Yeah, live together, die, you know, live together, die alone, right? As in like, hint, hint, if you have something to tell me, tell me now.
3: Yeah, we're in the dark. We're all by ourselves. Nobody can hear us. Come on, buddy. Let's do this. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was Jack's way of saying, nope, you got to tell me now. I know, do you got something to tell me? And I, I think that was, you know, it, very fitting as to where that line came in.
3: Mm-hmm. So. And it's Jack's line. It's Jack's slogan. It's like his um his campaign slogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Jack Shepard, leader of the island, live together, die alone, bitches. in, qu- yeah. <laughs> in quotations.
2: Jack Shepard for president, twenty twenty, live together, die alone. His campaign <laughs> slogan. <laughs> um, speaking of signature lines from characters, I want to switch to the whole uh, John Locke echo dynamic of this episode Uh, because there is a line that is spoken earlier on in the episode that is a line that should come from one character but comes from a different one and i don't know if you picked up on it john locke has that line don't tell me what i can't do right and it's it's spoken in this episode but it doesn't come from john it comes from did it come from echo It comes from Echo. When John is telling him, like, you know, you shouldn't be pushing the button, like, no, don't push the button any longer. Now, it's said in a more proper way because it is from Echo. But Echo says, don't tell me what or do not tell me what I cannot do. Oh, yeah. It could be a little easy to miss because it is spoken more properly than, you know, a bunch of contractions. but. It is spoken and it's spoken from Echo. And that really shines a light on how the dynamic between these two characters have changed. You know, Echo has kind of taken the John Locke place at this point. He's the one that believes this button needs to be pushed. He's the one that's believing everything happens for a reason. And John's kind of broken. And it's not kind until the of end-
3: broken. Oh, he's broken. Kind it's of not- broken.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, he's found crying in the woods when Charlie comes across him.
3: He was so, the one that was crying. We're, okay, so John Locke was crying in the woods. What was Michael doing? Michael was crying too, right?
2: I think he was. Yeah, I think he All was All the guys are crying, crying in well. the
3: jungle this episode?
2: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> So not Charlie. yeah, and the,
3: Charlie's like, I'm yep, fine. Everything's then, great. Everything's and fine. And then in the
2: meantime, you've got the women like Kate who's stepping up and chasing the others. You've got Jin who's saying, or you've got Sun who's saying, uh, no, fuck you. I'm going on the boat with you.
3: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Which, I mean, you you reflect back to season one, the finale of, you know, when Jin goes off on the boat by herself and look what happened. Sun's like, no, that shit's not happening this time. I'm going with you. And right. I, that's one of the things I loved about Sun this episode
3: son well, Sun so, is amazing, and I love it that her and Jin just come as a unit, and, like, they're basically saying, eh, get used to it, everybody. Jin and Sun, they come as a unit.
2: Yep, pretty much. But, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. we you know, we have the whole John Locke who is basic – he is a broken man of faith at this point. I don't even know if you can call him man of faith until – Maybe the end of this episode because it takes an incident to restore his faith a little bit.
3: An and to- incident, you say? <laughs> hmm. I said
2: that on purpose. <laughs> um, you know, and that's what sets him back on his path. Is there's something devastating he needed to be proven wrong?
3: Yes, and but see, that's not a man of faith. He needed to be proven wrong. He that's needed true. to see it for himself. So, I mean, he. This whole season, I mean, we can really we we can talk about John Locke, I think, for like an hour as far as his character arc this season. I mean, he's definitely not the character we saw in the beginning of season two. He's not the character we saw at the pilot episode. He's probably had the most change out of anybody so far. I mean, Jin, there there could be an argument made for Jin having a lot of change. I don't think that he has changed fundamentally. I think he just found who he had once lost before he was on the island. John Locke has been rocked by the island. And this season he was manipulated, he was used, he was abused by by Jack um you know, he was completely toyed with by by Ben You know, the the island, uh, the Losties, you know, messed with him to get to to get what they wanted through Jack to get them to keep fighting. I mean, he was systematically broken down to a nub by the end of this season. So it it, if it's like if if you're watching it for the very first time, this, this show for the very first time, and you watch season 2 episode 1 and you say hey John Locke by the end of this season John Locke will be responsible for the destruction of the hatch nobody would believe it they'd be like You're no crazy. not never yeah right because
2: because of where his story arc started
3: exactly so i mean that's really something to say about the what has happened to his character over the season. The incredible job Terry O'Quinn did with, with the John Locke character this season. You know, I love it that they end on this cliffhanger of is John Locke even alive at the end of this season?
2: Not just that, but I mean, n- not just John, but John echo and Desmond. Right. you're Left to wonder about all three of them. Cause,
3: because Charlie's the only one that comes out of the jungle.
2: Well, Charlie was the only one smart enough to say, like, I'll let myself out. Thank you.
3: Yeah, he's like, I'm out of here. Deuces.
2: <laughs> Peace. I'm out.
3: <laughs>
2: like a fat kid in dodgeball. I'm out. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, if you would have said the way things shaped out by the end of season one and the beginning of season two, if things would play out by the or the beginning of season two. But if things would have played out by the end of season two, the way they did, people would have never believed it.
3: No. I'd be but like, it shows it's, the brilliance of the writing. I'm sorry, you're going to have to show me a roadmap of how that's going to happen, <laughs> right? And they yeah. do it. They somehow do it. And they do it in a very believable and organic way, which is nice. No, none of it felt forced. None of it said, hey, we're going to, you know, end the season here and we don't know how we're gonna get there but we're gonna get there like this is so carefully planned out and executed just very very well season two might be like my favorite season i love season two so so much i think it's just two and three are high on my list Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah two and three are high on my list and season three is such a tonal change in the show um because of new locations new cast members like it's not an extreme tonal change like it doesn't take it in a completely different direction but there is a minor direction change into where the show goes and i think that's why i love seasons two and seasons three because they're so they're kind of dynamically different but very similar in so many ways so
3: uh yeah i would agree with that
2: it's just it's yeah when you look at where the show has come from just in in two seasons to where it's ending at season at season two You're right. Who would believe where the hell everything ended up? Right. I had a point I was going to go with that, too, and I can't remember what it is. So we can just move on. What's what's something else that you have in your notes that you kind of wanted to bring up?
3: Well, I mean, let's stay with Locke and Echo and the hatch and everything. So let's talk about. The fact that Desmond realizes that he crashed the plane. Man,
2: that is such a fantastic realization because that's been a lingering question for the past two seasons. And it's finally a question Well, it's also the
3: proof that John Locke needed, I think.
2: Well, that there was a... That
3: That there was a reason for the hatch.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, we get the whole... And I don't know if you noticed, too, but... um, the system failure, September twenty second, two thousand four. Uh,
3: pilot episode.
2: Well, the pilot ep- is is the pilot episode, but um, the time four sixteen again, two numbers from the from the pattern.
3: Oh, interesting! Yep. Nice catch. These, I didn't see these that. These
2: numbers play into so much of this show. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, but I mean and. It can be said, too, that Desmond was responsible for the plane crash. And that can, I can agree with that a little bit. But I don't necessarily feel like it's Desmond's full blame that the blame fully falls on Desmond for this. That, yes, he didn't push the button, which had he pushed the button, the plane would have just flown over. But I think there was always an intention for this. Like, they should have. How do I put this? It's kind of touched on a little bit at the end of the episode, which we'll get to about like how you can never return to the island. This island is almost impossible to find. If that's the case, how was it that the plane was even flying over the island to begin with? Something brought the plane to that island. And I feel like whether or not Desmond pushed that button, somehow the island would have brought them to that island. If that makes any sense.
3: Yeah, I just wonder how. That's that's what I do,
2: too. Like, I, I don't know how it would have happened. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have been a crash or maybe it would have been there would have been engine failure and the plane would have crashed as a whole instead of in half. Like, I, I don't I don't know. But I feel like because of everything we know about the show and everything we know about the future of the show. Somehow they would have still ended up there.
3: Well, not to mention, you know, how perfectly placed a lot of these survivors are. You think about Rose and her cancer. You think about John and his legs. You think about Hurley and the fact that he is ultimately going to be the protector of this island. You think about um, everybody's new start, new beginning, and uh, the fact that um, Sawyer... Wow, we're okay, we're going into spoiler mode. Uh, the fact that <laughs> Sawyer and Juliet were um, eventually going to be a part of the original incident. I mean, there's a lot that, you know... There's a lot about these survivors that have already technically happened on the island for the plane to just pass over. So I think you're right. It's not all on Desmond, but Desmond does play an enormous part in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um So he was probably perfectly placed as well. I mean, how does his how does his boat just happen to shipwreck on an impossible to find island? It has to be brought it has to be him being brought there. And maybe it's Hurley that ultimately like, uh, brought the whole plane crashing down because the island needed Hurley and the rest of them might be just either lucky bystanders or tragic bystanders or, or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the kind of philosophical stuff that you could probably discuss forever if you're a fan of a show like this, because the whole show is a puzzle and it's a great puzzle
2: yeah absolutely. I want to bring up real quick I want I want to break away from this just for one moment and I want to bring up a note that you kind of chuckled at when when we were prepping, but I, i'm I'm going to use it as a question. There is a scene with with Hurley and Jack and Sawyer with the bird when we find out Michael's clip is empty, and Hurley, Hurley. says the bird was saying my name. Did you hear it? I did okay, so did I. This is not the first time we've seen this bird. It was also in the finale of season one. It's hard to remember, but if you go back, it's also in the season one finale. Is this bird foreshadowing that Hurley is the one to be brought to the island? Because there was there was an um. you know there was another moment where I, I I mentioned the numbers and how it kind of played out and dictated that Hurley was the one to be there and not Jack. Is maybe this another foreshadowing of that? Or is it just Maybe. purely coincidence?
3: Because the bird doesn't say Jack.
2: Or Sawyer or or Kate or anything. It, it says Hurley. So I think this could be another foreshadowing of that. Maybe. So I don't, Could be right. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, an interesting way to, to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but going back to, you know, the whole... Uh, Desmond playing a part of everything, too. Uh, you know, talking a little bit about that wonder by the end of the finale, the cliffhanger of whether or not John Locke is still alive, Echo's still alive. I think they kind of played the scene written off as if Desmond was going to be a sacrifice. So you don't question as much whether or not what happened to Desmond. But man, it's so wonderful to see him return and know that he survived that entire incident.
3: When he returns a little different.
2: Well, he's also naked.
3: That's okay. <laughs> I'm,
2: not, I'm not even going into that one.
3: That's okay. I'm sure it is. <laughs>
2: I'm sure it is. Um,
3: but yeah, but what else can we talk about
2: when it comes to?
3: I mean, well, okay, so, um, so if 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 we're talking about the printout from the pearl, then we've got to talk about the fact that the pearl seemed to be the decoy station. Oh, in Because of all of, because of the mound of the um, comp books that they found in the middle of the jungle.
2: Oh, you know what? I never looked at it in that way. I figured that, that the, those notebooks were there because the Dharma Initiative no longer existed. Like the, the Dharma Initiative on the island no longer existed. But the fact that they were just going in the middle of nowhere to, to nobody... That I mean, makes look at more the, think sense. Think about the
3: pile of comp books that were there. There were hundreds, if not thousands.
2: Yeah. So, why would anybody waste their time with reading those comp books if it was never, if that was all the decoy and that was what the experiment was? Right. I never even thought about that.
3: So, if that was the decoy station, that should have been foreshadowing or that should have been a clue for us as the viewer to know that. Uh, The Swan Station was legit, and for the love of God, keep pushing the damn button.
2: (laughs) Well, I think there's even a moment that we kind of come to that realization as viewers, too, because by the end of the episode, when... You know, when Desmond comes to the realization that he's the one responsible for the plane coming down and the button needs to be pushed and John is still adamantly against it. You know, there's that moment where John takes the monitor and smashes it on the ground with like three minutes left on the clock. And as a viewer, you're kind of like, oh, shit, like that's serious. Like these yeah, guys are Okay, fucked. So,
3: yeah, not right. Right.
2: <laughs> you know, you're not like, oh, what's going to happen? You're like, oh, no, these guys are fucked. D- right. So yeah, I think you're right. I mean that I think those notebooks do kind of make you come to that realization. And it's a realization I never realized I came to because of that, because I never put it's like it a in-
3: subconscious realization. Yeah,
2: because I never put mm-hmm. that together about the notebooks. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. I
3: just I well, because you know, Sawyer picked up the last thing that went through, which was the map, which nobody had seen before. Did he pocket that?
2: Uh, no, he gives it to Jack. He shows it to Jack.
3: But so, does that hand drawn map ever come back into play I don't think since it, they still have it?
2: I don't know. I want to say, I, I honestly don't remember.
3: I don't I really either. Don't. I'd be interested to know.
2: Me too. Yeah, I don't know. It's something we're gonna have to pay attention to when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. you know looking to see if it comes back because I know Sawyer's the one that finds it and he shows it to Jack. But after that, I don't mm-hmm. know what happens to it because the mm-hmm. next moment after that, I think is when they see the smoke, isn't it? Or was th- yeah? Okay, I I wasn't I wasn't sure.
3: I had to think back. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, what else do you have?
2: Oh, I still have I still have plenty. Of notes um I'll, I'll do a couple quick ones because i don't think they're really anything that we need to dive into uh there's a very loose connection between um desmond and charlie in this episode in that when you see the letters that because by the way this is the first episode where we get to meet charles widmore There's been many nods to him, and he plays a very integral part throughout the future of this series. But this is our first meeting of him. But when he's a
1: dick.
2: (laughs) But when Desmond, uh, you know, is released from military prison because we do find out he was a lance corporal in the Scottish Army, uh, and he was um, dishonorably discharged. We don't know why, but we know it was something against going against orders. Uh, You know, we see Charles Whitmore. waiting for him outside of the prison and he gives the letters to Desmond, the letters that he had wrote to penny that Penny never received, uh, the they're addressed to Knightbridge, which is a location in London, which is also where Lucy, the girl that Charlie dated was from. So it's, it's a very loose connection. It could be purely coincidence. I don't think there's anything to read into it, but it, it's, it's very interesting just to note that Penny and Lucy were both from the same place. So, um, uh,
3: wasn't Lucy's, f- who's Lucy's father? Lucy's father was somebody that we knew, wasn't he?
2: Uh, I don't think so. I think he just owned the copier company that Charlie ended up working for. So was he any, was he somebody of many, of any more
3: importance? I don't know. Oh my gosh. Now I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah. We'd have to, <laughs> I'd have to go back
2: and, and rewatch it. Um, yeah. I love the line, we're stuck in a bloody snow globe when Desmond is, Ugh, comes to the beach. It's
3: one of my f- favorite lines. Because
2: it's pretty true. You're going to find out as we progress further. That's uh, that's pretty true. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about this, and I wish I had a clip of it. We talked about this when we prep, but my absolute favorite line from this episode, uh, Char- when Echo comes to Charlie, Charlie, do you know how they got the hatch door open? And Charlie responds with, no, but if you hum it, I can probably play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think is such a brilliant nod. A little bit because every episode needs a little bit of humor. Uh, it
3: also shows kind of like the two sides of island life here. Like most of the people are just kind of like ho hum. Here we are. We're living life on the beach. And then the other like there's like this small group that's just like tearing through the jungle, with like. Just creating all sorts of chaos and havoc everywhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
3: think someone's always coming out of the jungle either bloody or crazed or sweating or screaming. And it's just gonna be really unsettling for those who are just kind of trying to live their island life, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um but other than that, I want to talk a little bit. We can dive a little bit deeper into this. Let's talk about the whole Jin Sud Jin sud. Jin Sun and Said dynamic of this. And they're part of the story where they take the boat to the other side of the Island.
3: Uh, and we have a decoy well,
2: decoy village. Even before we get to that, we have a four toed statue of a foot. Um, <clears throat> Which I know. What is that? I did some research into this and uh, it actually is referenced um, that the four toed statue uh, it's broken. It's all that remains of a four-toed foot. The statue is very reminiscent from what I can find of it, from a story of the Colossus of Rhodes, uh, which was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So if nothing else, while this foot is a mystery, it's really showing how old this island really is. And we get more of that later on because, again, spoiler alert, future of the series, there are moments we do see that statue as a whole.
3: Yes, there is, and that's actually one of my favorite little um, later story arcs. To be honest, because if I
2: remember correctly,
3: that's with the samurai guy, right?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, with the. Um,
3: I liked him a lot, <laughs> but isn't because
2: um, we dive? That's when we dive deeper into. Uh, I think if I'm if I'm correct in this, I might be completely off. I think that's a Richard Albert flashback.
3: Oh, you could be right. He's like the guy that doesn't die. He doesn't so age, that, yeah. Um, right, so that tracks.
2: But i th- I think if I'm if if I remember correctly, the statue was actually like an Egyptian statue holding an ankh. I can't remember. I'd, I'd have to wait, and that doesn't.
3: All I see in my head is the statue in De Bravos right now.
2: A little bit, yeah. I could I could see that a little bit. Um. But yeah, I mean, we get, you know, it's, I looked into it and it's, it's just showing how old more than anything else. It remains a mystery, I think, until season five. And even it's then, it's never just funny really because answered.
3: it didn't, like, it didn't really bother me. And I just thought it was really funny that it bothered Saeed, that it was a four-toed foot. Like, he's more unsettled by it than anything else. <laughs> well,
2: I would be unsettled by that too. If you, if you see a four-toed statue and, and it's just a foot. Like, why wouldn't you be unsettled by that? And it shows, like, how atten- how much attention to detail Saeed really pays attention, in my opinion. Well,
3: yeah, that's least. why we all want Saeed on our team. Absolutely.
2: But, yeah, but let's get to the point that, you, you know, you were making, too, in that this village, as you kind of mentioned, to last week, you reminded me of it last week, this village is a total decoy. There's nothing mm-hmm. there. And that hatch door that we saw when it opened opened to nothing but the side of the mountain. Right. You know, the,
3: that had to have just been a total mind meld for Said.
2: Oh, yeah. As someone who had this entire plan to kind of like scout them out and, and see what he can do before they get there. The, this is something he'd probably never expected to find. Mm-hmm. And that this whole village
3: wasn't real. So
2: uh, what about you? What's something else that you wanted to, to bring up? Something else you might have in your notes?
3: So I love it that we've got Charlie back. Uh We've got our Charlie back. I love the little scene that Desmond and Claire had about um, the father of Claire's baby. And Claire got very angry for a second. She's like, no, he didn't. You know, he I think he was just thinking about himself. I think that, you know. He didn't want anything to do with us, and he ran. And I think in that conversation, Claire realized that Charlie was not that guy. That Charlie has always been there for her, has always had her and the baby, you know, at, at the top of his list. And I love it that she softens towards him for the first time since the heroin debacle. And um, I don't know, there there was just something really lovely about the season ending with Charlie and Claire kind of on their way back together.
2: Oh, I told, I totally agree with you too, that that was the moment then Claire kind of realized who Charlie was and how important he was to both her and Aaron. I totally agree with that.
3: Yeah. I just, I loved it. And he, um, it's when he's okay with himself, like he's been on his own little personal journey And he's been really trying to like better himself and kind of make up for some past mistakes that he's made considering the things that he's done on the Island. And he wasn't expecting it from Claire. He still cares about her. He's still, she is still the first person he thinks of like when he comes across injection medicine, that looks important. And, but he's given her the space that she's asked for. And in doing that, it has allowed Claire to watch him, to observe him, and to slowly let him back in. And I think that that's wonderful because it happens organically, and Charlie is no longer forcing it to happen, which was would have been the kiss of death.
2: Well, I mean, speaking of kiss, you know, that, that's such a sweet moment between the two of them, too, at the mm-hmm. end of the episode when that finally happens between the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, when when Claire and Claire's the one that initiates it, which is even mm-hmm. better, you know, because Charlie was at that point, keeping his distance, he was taking things slow and getting back into her life. So the fact that she's the one that that initiates uh, for when it finally happens speaks volumes for the two of them. And it's, I don't think there's any more troubled waters between the two of them from this point forward. Mm-hmm. I th- I think this is like the, the establishment, so to speak. Yes, I, I think this is kind of the establishment in the beginning of the ship between the two of them.
3: Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, which leads it was just such a great little part of the of the episode. And it leads um, to some
2: major heartbreak later, unfortunately. I don't want to talk about that right now because <laughs> I'm going to cry. Um,
3: it's funny that um, earlier you mentioned that uh, iconic lines have been said during this episode, like live together, die alone. Uh, Don't tell me what I can't do or do not tell me what I cannot do. Um, Because Desmond also says, I'll see you in another life, brother. Which he says quite a few times in this this series. And so I like it that we've got everybody saying their taglines.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, If you don't mind, I kind of want to go in another direction because you you said that. I kind of want to lead that in. And... I want to talk about one of the things that, you know, you've mentioned a number of times and I've kind of backed you up on it, how interesting of a character Desmond is and how great of a character he is and how he's one of our favorite characters from this series. Um, Yes. I kind of came to realize why that is. And it really does stem from... I mean, in essence, we've met him already. We met him towards the beginning of the season. And this is the episode where we're really getting to know him. And there is... Really a lot of hints as to the kind of person Desmond in Desmond is and Desmond will always be. And there is one particular line that happens in this episode that really shines that light. If you look at it that way, there's the moment where Desmond is at the arena at the stadium and he's getting ready to do his run. He's getting in shape for that boat race. And you do see Jack in the background. We've already seen this scene before in the past with the two of them, uh, you know, uh, on the stands together. But we see kind of a precursor to that and we see that Penny has searched him out and, you know, asks him about the book and we know why now because there's a note in that book from Penny and she doesn't know whether or not he's read it yet. But when, De- when Penny says to Desmond, while you were away... And as viewers, we already know he was in prison. I am so
3: glad you're bringing this up because this is something that I wanted to talk about too. So go for it. I'm really excited. Okay.
2: I mean, as viewers, we already know what she means. He was in prison. But the fact that Desmond, he doesn't say like, yes, while I was away. He's a stand up person, accepts who he is and the past that he has and says, I was in prison, not away. He is a man who accepts every responsibility and accepts the responsibility of every action he has made because he could have denied. He could have said, yes, while I was away or completely blown over that line. But the fact that he responds to that with I was in prison, not away again, just shows the merit of his character and how he is somebody who accepts his past.
3: Oh, I like that. I didn't. I didn't know that. That's what you were going to say. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that she, um, she asked why he didn't write, and he didn't tell her that he did write. He didn't. He didn't play the game that Charles Woodmore wanted him to play by saying, "Your dad. He kept us from each other. Like he didn't want to make it about that." Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really um, honorable as well because he had an opportunity to break that relationship between. Uh, Penny and her father and he chose not to do that
2: okay yeah that's an interesting thing too I didn't even really put a lot of thought into that aspect of it Um,
3: but again so that whole scene was fantastic it really does as you say it really does show kind of the complexities and the honorable um, aspect of of his character and Man is he—he's just great. I love Desmond
2: yes, so much. A- absolutely, and and kind of you know jumping forward to the moment with Desmond with the key, which I do have a little bit of an issue with the key, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but you know, there's that whole moment where the hatch is getting ready to you know implode on itself, and he goes underneath the hatch with the key that kind of sets everything that kind of blows the dam as he mentions it. That scene is is beautiful, in my opinion. And I'm not talking about the, the devastation that's happening and everything that's going to happen. The fact that he is there and he's kind of reflecting on that note. And we get the voiceover from Penny, you know, where she says, all we really need to survive is one person who truly loves us. And you have her. I will wait for you always. And then mm-hmm. he, you know, and she says, I love you, Desmond. And then we get the, it goes back to him saying, I love you, Penny. He's doing this with a purpose, even if it means he's not going to survive. I think he has the, the merit that he understands that, that he hopes he'll survive. But I think he's going into it completely not knowing whether or not he's going to survive. But Yeah, just, that whole I play agree out with of- that.
3: And, and he, you know, this is what he would do he is honorable enough that he would try and save everybody on the island at the expense of his own life, even though he doesn't know these people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's and, and doing that failsafe and, and putting that key in, that is going against orders. So, go, so it makes you realize maybe he went against orders and ended up in prison because he was doing the right thing and not that he was doing something um just uh, devious or something oh, yeah. like that. And,
2: and I think that too, I think that even goes along with Kelvin who we, we got a lot of this episode too, you know, cause you know, Kevin, Kelvin says to Desmond, you know, you, why was it you were kicked out of that army for not following orders? And Desmond says the, well, why were you kicked out of yours? And he's like, because I followed orders. And I right. think, you know, it shows that they kind of, maybe they're two dynamically different char- you know, characters. He left the army because he didn't like the orders he was given And Desmond kind of went against the orders he was given and was kicked out of the army. Kelvin left, Desmond was kicked out. But for the same kind of similar reason, one followed through with the orders they didn't like, and one went against the orders they didn't like. Right. But they both ended up in the same place.
3: And one of them was kind of a rotten core, and the other one was an upstanding individual. Yeah. Yeah. With a cool Scottish accent.
2: <laughs> I love Desmond so much. Like, I can't wait. Till, I know. I can't wait till we get more to his character next season.
3: He's the greatest. Um.
2: So the issue I have with the key. Uh, okay. We see in that time when Desmond realizes this, this is what needs to happen. The button needed to be pushed. We can't do it. So I have to activate the failsafe. And he goes to the bookshelf and he, he looks through all the books and he finds... You know, the the Charles Dickens book, which is where the key was. It's been in the hatch the whole time. Do we not think Locke would have found that at some point? Because no, you don't think so, because he was kind of. I, I don't know. I tend to disagree because I think in that moment that they realized that they found the film behind turning of the screw and there was something hidden there. Why would he not keep looking to see what else is hidden in this hatch?
3: Well, he was looking, he was looking through the books and he was shaking out all the books, but there were a lot of books in there and they, he was always distracted by whatever chaos was happening around him. I think it's easy to overlook that.
2: Okay. All right. I just, I thought maybe, you know, he might've, he would have seen the keys. He would have seen the key at some point. Um,
3: he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of people trying to get him to do what they wanted him to do. And he was happy to oblige.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so what about you? What's uh, anything else left on your notes?
3: <sighs> We've covered almost all of it. Let me look. Because I have a couple more well, things,
2: but I don't want to, well, you know, we
3: could. Uh, we could talk about the fact that we see um, Henry Gale again.
2: Oh, that's definitely in my notes.
3: All right. Well, let's talk about that. I think that that's all I really have, though, is just um, is just Henry slash Ben showing up and proving that he's actually kind of an important dude.
2: Well, you know, I I mentioned at the top of the episode too how I had, you know, a little a couple theories on both Cynthia Watros and Michael Emerson. I feel and, you know, we do we have found out and. That, you know, Michael Emerson was originally only supposed to be brought on for about six or seven episodes, and then they loved his character so much that they brought him back. I think this is the point where he was brought back because a lot of the episodes that he was in where he was in, you know, the armory and he was kept prisoner. He kept saying the leader like he's a great man. And I think at that point in the writing, they didn't know yet that he was going to be the leader of the others. So after
3: much like Charles Dickens flying by the seat of his pants.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think like he was they, they finished with his character, but they loved his character so much they wanted to bring him back in some way, shape or form. So they figured, well, what if we just made him the leader of the others all along? And this was the moment that you revealed that. Uh, So I I think if anything, I think this is the moment that the writers decided, yeah, Michael Emerson needs to stay a part of this cast.
3: That whole moment where the tables have turned and Jack and Kate and Sawyer, especially Jack, because Jack was really kind of a focal point of uh, Henry's imprisonment. That was a very tense moment, even having seen the whole series and knowing the characters as well as I do. The intensity of that moment is not lost at no. all when he gets, when he shows up and you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Everything's about to get really bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, and, and not only that, but I mean, there's so much that happens in this. You have, you know, when, first off, this is the end of the Michael and Walt story, at least for now. Good. Um, But I came to a real big realization, too, in that, you know, there's that moment when Michael is driving away in the boat with Walt and, you know, Jack is kind of following with following him with his eyes and you could see the anger like you could see the seething anger in Jack's face. But the realization I came to to, that I came to watching that scene, that is the last time Jack and Michael ever see each other. Jack has no resolution in his anger towards Michael. Because doesn't Michael, he
3: see Walt again, though? Who? Jack. Um, doesn't he seek th- out Walt? Yes,
2: I think he seeks out Walt when Jack is off the island. But Jack right. and Michael never see each other again. That's fine. Jack has no resolution when it comes to his anger towards Michael because when Michael returns, Michael never steps foot on that island. He's on the he's on yeah, the but- freighter the whole time.
3: Yeah, but I don't think that there's really anything left that could be said to even fix what's been done. No, to tell you the truth, I there's, agree with that. There's nothing.
2: I, I agree with that completely. Um, you know, but one of the things I loved about this scene, and it gives just really goes even deeper into why I love Ben Linus, who we still don't even know his Ben. His name is Ben at this point. We don't find that out until the season three season three premiere. Um, That whole interaction with with Michael and Ben, when he's saying, let's take care of business, you know, you lived up to your word, we live up to ours. And Michael says, who are you people? And Ben responds with, we're the good guys, Michael. Like, you can look at them, obviously, as villains at this point, they are the the antagonists of this story. But when you look at any antagonist from any movie or any any television series the best antagonists are the ones who legitimately think they are doing
0: good
3: well and see the thing is is that when you really learn about um these people ben linus and and his people most of them are really good people. Most of them have been trapped on the island, much like the survivors. Most of them want to get off and they want to go back to their regular lives and they can't. It seems to me that Ben is really the only one that is an actual quote unquote villain for a while.
2: Yeah, for a while. because he, Would you agree with that? I agree with that because he is a very complicated character. Uh, the complexities of his character. I mean, again, like throughout through four more seasons of this series, there are times when you love Ben Linus and there are times that you despise Ben Linus and it, it flips a lot. Um, you know, there are moments where you hope he's, he's killed. And there are moments where you feel genuinely sorry for him, Alex. um, that's all I'm going to say. Um, you know, I like my heart dropped during that scene. Um, you know, and we don't even know that Alex is his daughter at this point. Sorry, spoilers, but yeah. But I, mean, I think
3: that we all have guessed that Alex is Rousseau's daughter at this point,
2: which is also true,
3: right? But I'm saying I think the viewers, if you're in a first watch, you know when you see this character that this is Rousseau's daughter.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the girl that that Rousseau has been looking for. Absolutely. Um. Do you or do you not think Ben was surprised when everything with the hatch happened and the noise happened and the sky lit up? Because everybody else was kind of buckled over as if they didn't know what was going on, but Ben kind of stared right into it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he knew or do you think he just... That's thats just the way he reacted?
3: Gosh, that's a such a good question. I think that... I think that no matter what happens with Ben Linus, he always acts like that's exactly what should be happening. Whether or not he believes it, he doesn't panic because he's being led by Jacob. And so I think that he trusts in Jacob enough that he thinks that he's got a handle on whatever happens in the Island. And it's not until he genuinely feels threatened with that relationship that he starts to kind of unravel. All right. That's a good way to put it
2: too. And that would definitely speak to his character as well as that. Like you said, he kind of always takes everything in stride as if that's what it was. That's what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. So,
3: okay. that that That's a good. Way to I don't know. That's it. just off the top of my head. I haven't given it much thought. I think that's a really good question.
2: I think that is a great way to look at it though. Cause that would, that would definitely play into his character. So um, I think the only other thing I have about that scene, too, is when uh, Miss Clue or B, as we find out her name is, uh, you know, when she cuts Hurley free and sends Hurley back to the beach, there's a, not, there's a lot of guilt in Hurley's face, too. Like, he doesn't want to leave his friends behind. Mm-hmm. And it's not until he gets that nod from Jack, like, it's OK, like, you, you should go you know, that he finally kind of slowly walks off.
3: I don't think he would have left had Jack or Kate or Sawyer not given him permission. I think any of the three of them could have said it's okay, you can go and he would have gone.
2: I agree with that completely, too. I I think you're right. I think if he didn't get a little bit of acknowledgement from any of them saying like, it's okay, Hurley would have never left. Mm -hmm. He would have stayed right there with them because that's the kind of person that Hurley is. You know he calls them his he friends. He wanted to leave.
3: He didn't want to be there. Yeah, but he stayed. He was like, uh, I, I, "No, I'm going to stay."
2: <laughs> I mean, he he calls them his friends, and to Hurley, that's who they are. They are legitimately his friends. Like, he has nobody yeah. else at this point other than the people on that island. Mm-hmm. So, and Hurley's one of the kinds of people that his friends are his family. So you're right. Mm-hmm. Hurley would have never left if he never got that nod from Jack.
3: Right. Same with Sawyer. I think.
2: You think Sawyer think would have been the, the
3: same? I think Sawyer. Well, we've seen so, e, Sawyer didn't really like Michael and Jin on Team Raft, and he still was willing to risk his life for them. He took a bullet for one of them. Now, now it's escaping me who, um, you know. And he said, "Look, where are my friends? I'm not going anywhere without my friends." So I think that you know, when it comes to loyalty, it's these loner characters that have found a place with these survivors, even if it's a negative place like Sawyer's been for a while, he still has a place with them. These are still, this is still their community and, and their people. And that means something to characters like Hurley and Sawyer and probably Kate.
2: Yeah. I think if, I think if the role, I think were- if they told Jack
3: to leave, he'd be like, Peace.
2: Well, I think if the roles were reversed and it was actually Sawyer that was let loose, I think you're right. I think Sawyer would have definitely not abandoned them, but I think it would have played out a little differently, whereas he would have left, but he would have never gone back to the camp.
3: He Kate, would have no, found no. a way to follow. Sawyer would have never left Kate there. In a million years, he would have died on that dock before he left.
2: Okay, yeah, that you're right. With Kate there, it's a different element. If Kate wasn't there... And it was just Jack and Hurley. I think he would have he would have walked away from the dock, but he would have stayed and followed. But
3: oh, with, yeah, I can see that.
2: But with Cade on that dock, I think you're right. He would have never left the dock. So, like, Sawyer's got a little bit more of a, like, again, he he's rebellious. He would have never gone back to the camp. He would have stayed behind and followed. He would have hidden yeah. and followed from the shadows.
3: So... The others know these characters really well. Then they know who would have gone back. They know who the weakest one about of all of them were.
2: But it makes you wonder why did they even bring Hurley to be- to begin with in the first place? Unless that As a was a messenger
3: the- and maybe to size him up. Okay, yeah, that was. I don't know.
2: He was. I pretty mean, if much Ben is really be controlled.
3: If Ben is really controlled by Jacob, and Jacob knows that these are the candidates, then. Ben wants to see who the candidates are, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, because if you look at the rest of that cast, or you look at the rest of the people who were potential candidates, you have John Locke, uh, you have Jin, and you have Sun, uh, and Saeed. Saeed is somebody who definitely would not have gone back to camp had they let him loose. Uh, If Jin and Sun were there together, neither one of them would have left the other. Uh, and John Locke would have somebody who would have been willingly stood up and said, no, I'll go back to camp with you. You look at everybody. Yeah, but who- see,
3: Ben Linus has already broken John Locke. So to him, John Locke probably isn't even a concern in his opinion right now.
2: True. But I'm just looking right? as if like if you replaced one character with any other.
3: Oh, right. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, and Hurley really is the only potential candidate out of everybody who, if you let him low, let him go to be a messenger, would actually go and be a messenger.
3: Because, well, he knows that he doesn't have fighting skills like the rest of them. True. He's a peacekeeper.
2: Yeah. So
3: um, anything else in your notes? No, man. We've talked this episode to death.
2: Well, I have a couple more things and I'll just go over them really quickly. <laughs>
3: Of course you do.
2: Um, I love the fact that even as everything was happening with the hatch and the hatch was ready to implode on itself and Desmond goes underneath, Echo, even after everything, after Locke locked him out, took his staff from him, you know, pushed him away, ignored him, even after everything, Echo still was willing to save John. When Charlie woke him up and Charlie left the hatch, Echo went in. He was still determined to save John after well, that's
3: that's yeah that's well that's echo
2: yeah uh and the whole john looking at echo and saying i was wrong is like chillingly like that's such a a great moment in, in yes hatch. yes um the hat the quarantine uh hatch landing on the landing on the beach um mm-hmm was an interesting moment because it makes you realize it kind of gives you an idea of the actually what happened in the hatch because we do know uh, that the hatch is completely gone by the end of this. But I, I'm still a little confused as to what happened because when everything is happening before Desmond turns that key, everything is imploding on itself. So I'm assuming if the doorway flies to them, when he turned that key, it kind of makes it reverses the polarity of the magnet and it blows everything out. Otherwise, how would that hatch land on the beach? It would, have impl- it would have been pulled into the hatch, not blown out.
3: Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. All I know is that if I had known that there was a washer and a dryer and a shower <laughs> and food and running water, I would have pushed that button until the end of time.
2: Yeah. If anything, just keep it going so you can enjoy the amenities.
3: Right. Fine. I have to push a fucking button. Who cares?
2: <laughs> um, two more quick things, uh, and I'm saving the the best one for last just because I know you'll get a kick out of it. Um, the Delvin. Delvin. Oh, that's their ship name. Uh, Desmond and Kelvin flashback. There's a little bit of a timeline I guess not discrepancy, but I guess confusion because we do know that Desmond was in that hatch with Kelvin for at least two years. Uh, We do know that, that Kelvin was in the army where he met Saeed and we do get mentioned that Kelvin joined the Dharma initiative. So I guess in order for everything to be to play out, I guess you kind of have to still understand that the others, even though they took over the Dharma initiative on the Island, are still allowing the Dharma, either allowing or controlling the Dharma initiative off the island as well? Because otherwise, how would the Dharma initiative still be around for Kelvin to have joined it to be sent to the island?
3: Well, of course they are. I mean, when you look at Juliet's backstory, she was only supposed to have a rotation and then she was supposed to leave and she didn't. She couldn't. But they they sought her out and they found her and they told her about, you know, and um,
2: again Richard Albert is what it all was
3: exactly and um you know Ben he ta- he travels off the island and he's pulling a lot of the strings out there. I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of um marriage between the mainland and the island.
2: Okay, so it's it started on the island and it kind of extended to off the island as well.
3: I mean my guess is is that they had to vet a lot of these people and get them on the plane and I I don't know I mean, I I just assume that everything is the way that it's supposed to be because that's who they wanted on the island. Yeah.
2: Uh, Okay. Uh, My final note. (laughs) I mentioned earlier how I had a few Jack is an asshole moments in this this episode. And the biggest one to me is uh, how he leaves Sawyer behind after getting darted. When yes, Sawyer, <laughs> Sawyer gets gets a dart uh, and goes down. Gets a trank dart from the others uh, and goes down. He yells, "Run!" Everybody bolts. So okay, you can look at it. Scatter. One way. You can look at it one way as if like okay, if we go after Sawyer, we're gonna get caught. But then when Kate gets started, he picks her up and carries her. Mm-hmm. So. Kate's important enough to not leave behind, but Sawyer's not? Come on. Like, you're an asshole.
3: Yeah, he's an asshole. You're
2: an asshole.
3: He's the worst. The (laughs) worst.
2: (laughs) So, but that was it. That was my final note, and I figured I'd save that one for last.
3: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Anything that makes Jack out to be a dick is great.
2: Pretty much. It's always fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so an hour and a half discussion into two episodes. I told you we were going to have a lot to talk about. That was fun, though. Yeah, but we're not done yet because we have some feedback this week as well uh, in the form of two voicemails and an email. Uh, But before we do that, of course, we want to tell you the ways that you can indeed leave us feedback as well. There are multiple ways that you can do that. First and foremost, we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lost Revisited.
3: We are on Instagram at Lost Revisited Pod.
2: You can email us at Lost Revisited Pod at gmail.com.
3: And if you'd like to leave a message, you can record yourself and send it to our email address.
2: Yes, indeed. So let's jump into that feedback. Uh, we'll do voicemail, email, voicemail, just to kind of scatter it a little bit. And let's start with our buddy, Steve, cause he, we missed him last week. So, uh, we'll start with his, uh, his voicemail this week. So here Yay. is, here's our voicemail from, uh, our buddy,
0: Steve Brown. It's a bloody snow globe. It's a bloody snow globe. <laughs> I love that line. I don't know why that line. Hey, ben and Chris, and it's Steve, and uh, uh, this is for live together, uh, die alone. But I do have one comment that I want to make about three minutes that uh, I, I appreciate, and I, I agree with you guys that Michael was was being sincere, and he was trying to get his son back, and I understand all that. But it also showed his manipulative side in the fact that when he's talking to Saeed, he basically justifies Saeed not going by telling Saeed that he's going for revenge, but Michael is going to get his son. And then, though, what we how we see his manipulative minute manip- manip- below manip- anyway, we see him manipulating <laughs> is that he goes to Hurley and he uses the exact opposite argument. Without using the word revenge, he basically uh, shames Hurley into wanting to get revenge – for Libby. So I thought that was interesting and I uh, just wanted to, to bring that up. And uh, just a couple of quick notes uh, about this, this season finale. Uh, it, it's great. Um, but I, I love that now Jack's worried about keeping secrets. Really? I mean, that's like that's all you do, Jack, is keep secrets. Now you're worried about... No, we can't tell... Yeah, shut up. Jack. Um, Michael's lack of gun knowledge was interesting. I don't know about anybody else but you know as soon as somebody hands me a firearm the first thing i'm doing is checking to see if it's loaded nah so I, I don't know it's just me maybe that's a weird thing um i uh, i like the talks and all the flashbacks with desmond and seeing him with inman and uh, all of those things uh <laughs> i loved i don't want to go uh, I don't want to finish this voicemail without talking about Kung Fu Jack <laughs> at the beginning of the the episode. Instead of just opening up the hatch door, he's got to kick it with his bare foot and <laughs> and show his kung fu kung fu skills. I thought that was that was uh, pretty cool. And um, I just I just like it's so good that we get so many things that aren't going to pay off until way later in this in the series in in uh the season i don't even think in season two i don't think we even find out for sure about penny and everything maybe it's maybe this season two uh but anyway it, it just uh loved it and i uh, can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts and i uh, just wanted to say thanks uh for the shout out at the end of uh, last episode with your feedback i wish i had gotten something in last week but i just wasn't able to uh talk to you later Oh,
3: Steve. <laughs> Steve. Um, just uh, I, I see what you mean. And about the gun, Steve, because I think that that's something that, you know, like my husband would do or my dad would do. But if somebody's giving me a gun, I'm so afraid of it that I don't even like I don't even like touching them because I know that if I checked to see if it was loaded, I would set it off. I would, I would set it <laughs> off. That would be the end. I don't like, I, I, I'm scared of them. I've been around them. I've shot them. I've had a lot, of, I have, I've had more experience than than I would care to have with guns. And I still am pretty sure that I would kill myself by accident.
2: Oh, geez. <laughs> Um, I want to actually jump back to, whole, to the whole thing he mentioned about three weeks or three minutes last week was the whole about how he played Saeed and Hurley in different ways. I don't think we ever touched on that. Um, and that's a very interesting realization, too, And that he's absol- Steve's absolutely right in that, you know, Michael went to Saeed and said, you're going into this for revenge. I needed to get my son back. But then and went to Hurley and said, no, you need to come with us because don't you want revenge? Like, mm-hmm. he played them in two totally different ways.
3: I would, yeah. I it,
2: it's, that's great. I never even, I don't think we ever picked up on that last week.
3: That's why we needed him last week.
2: I know. That's why we missed him last week.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but let's move on to our next piece of feedback. And that comes to us in the form of an email from our buddy, Dez. So I'll turn it over to you to read that.
3: Okay. Des says, hey, guys, I don't have too many notes on this one. I love the episode and kept forgetting to write stuff down. I love the fight between Echo and Locke. Maybe fight is the wrong word. Echo spanked him and kicked him out of his room. <laughs> I completely forgot that this was the episode where we got the Hurley bird. Guys, did that bird just say my name? That Early would freak bird. the shit out of me, too. One bad thing about this episode, even though I loved seeing Cynthia Watros back as Libby, this episode started the trend of really bad wigs in the flashbacks. <laughs> Cannot wait to see Jack's mullet eye roll. This episode really got me invested in the Penny Desmond story. I love her line. With enough money and determination, you can find anyone. I'm trying to remember if she repeated this on her boat at the end of the fourth season. Two seasons down, four to go, and probably my favorite episode outside of the pilot in the finale is up next. Almost forgot, the moment where Hurley realizes that Michael had killed Anna and Libby. Knife emoji, heart emoji, cry <laughs> emoji.
2: <laughs> yeah, next episode, the season three premiere, uh, Two Cities, I think it's called, is uh, A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale
3: of Two Cities, which is a Charles Dickens story.
2: It is. Uh, is... Um, yeah, it's such a great episode. Like I said, I was so tempted to uh, to just keep going. And yeah, I did. It, it took I a lot to going. not. Did you really? <laughs>
3: of course I did. <laughs>
2: you watched the pilot? All right.
3: I love that episode.
2: Yeah. I went right great, into great it, episode. Ben. <laughs> great, great episode. Uh, one final piece of feedback, and that comes from our friend Gemma Hall in Yay, the form Gemma. of voicemail. Uh So we'll go ahead and play that now.
1: Hi, Kristen and Ben. This is Gemma calling from South Wales. I hope I got my feedback in in time for the season finale podcast. Um, yeah, probably one of my favourite season finales ever. I, I just, you know, I love Lost. And it was just one of those, again, huge moments The end, right at the end of the episode. But I think another big moment for me was when Sun um, shot Colleen. On the, on the boat because she didn't actually think she would really do it but then she did and then Colleen actually ends up spoiler, sorry, she does die and which makes a sort of catalyst for uh, her husband to target Sawyer in season 3 which is upsetting for me because as you know I love Sawyer <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and the, just them finding the decoy village as well and knowing that it was all set up you know, saeed's so on the case for that and, um, yeah, just the end <laughs> of the episode, I love it, because you see, like, the ultimate portrayal from Michael and Walt as they just sail away, and Jack and Sawyer and Kate just looking at him, just if death, you know, if, if looks could kill, he would... Be totally six feet under, and I just love that moment of like Ben walking on the dock, giving the keys to Michael and the coordinates, and off he goes. And then the bags go over the heads of our heroes. And I remember watching it and being like, Oh my God, where are they taking them? So it was like, Yeah, it was just. And then the wait between the season two to three, agonising. So I just I get really jealous of people who binge watch stuff like Lost and walking dead because i don't appreciate the actual hiatuses that give us like all heart attacks but yeah yes. so look forward to the podcast and you guys are doing a really good job and yeah i'll see you soon bye
3: oh Gemma, it's so good to hear your voice
2: I love when Gemma gets to leave us voicemails.
3: I do, too. I love the music in the background, too. In the very beginning, it was like, la, 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 la. (laughs) Like, I just imagine, like, all the lights are down low, and she's just kind of like, I just watched Lost. I think I'll drink a glass of wine and put on some good music and ride the wave of smooth jazz.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so thanks everybody for the for the uh, the feedback this week. And again, you know, we we gave you guys ways that we encourage everybody to leave us uh, feedback. I'm, you know, you mentioned season two being one of your favorite seasons of the show. And I mentioned seasons two and three. And I'm looking ahead at some of the episodes for season three. And man, there are some great episodes that we get to talk about next, uh, you know, over the course of the next couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Starting Starling starting with the tale of two cities which is the premiere um every man for himself which is another one with Kate and Sawyer the cost of living which is unfortunately the end of a of a character that we love i do which is the episode that i talk about all the time really pissed me off because it was the episode that ended right before the like a 3 month hiatus uh-huh. for the show Flashes Before Your Eyes, which is a Desmond episode that I love. Uh, Trisha Tanaka is Dead, which is a great episode. Yep. Uh, The Man from Tallahassee, Expose. uh, The Man Behind the Curtain. There's so many great episodes in season three that we get to talk about, and I can't wait. I cannot wait.
3: Yeah, let's get started. Uh, Let's go right now. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, second second half of the
2: podcast. Here we we go. go.
3: (laughs) <laughs> We're gonna do it no, all I today.
2: <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, so I kind of I have to still. Uh, but yeah, that's that pretty much wraps it up for the for the finale talk for season two. Uh, live free, die alone. Live free, die. What alone. is wrong live with to- you? It's
3: not <laughs> you die hard. Know.
2: I know. Uh, John McClane had together. plans. <laughs> if if John McClane was on that island, none of this shit would have happened. Same
3: with Chuck Norris, man.
2: John McClane can beat Chuck Norris's ass.
3: Yeah, okay. That's just my opinion.
2: Leave us feedback. Let us know. Who would win in a fight? John McClane or Chuck Norris?
3: Um, <laughs> any fi- <laughs> any you know final what? notes? You know who would kick both of their asses? John Wick.
2: Yes, agree with that completely.
3: And Keanu Reeves. Doesn't matter. Either one. They're both badass.
2: <laughs> You're breathtaking. I love that. What? Did you... So... This is off. Hey, we haven't derailed at all. So this is our derailment moment of the podcast, which okay. saving for the end. I heard a story of, that I absolutely loved about Keanu lately. Which there's so many out there, uh, but apparently when they went when he was in town when they first started filming Bill and Ted. Um, Face the Music, which is the, th- the third one that they're working on now. Um, there was a boy who loves Keanu, like loves the movies, who found out that they were filming in his town. So he made a sign placard for his front yard. And all it said was, you're breathtaking. And it was, you know, as a way of saying hi to Keanu. Well, apparently Keanu pa- drove past it in his car and stopped and asked if he could sign the sign.
3: Oh my didn't, gosh, I love him so
2: much. Didn't just go up and sign it, actually asked for permission if he could sign the sign. So of course they gave him permission. So he actually signed the sign, hung out with them a little bit, took pictures <laughs> and everything. Like, how amazing is this man? Like he is He
3: is amazing. Yep. He is amazing. Everything that you learn about him is incredible.
2: Yeah. He he is we are living in a Keanu Sans right now.
3: Whatever. And I love it. I love it. I've I've been riding it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a good ride since I was like 13, I think. Yeah. And it's I think it's that's great. when when Speed came out, it was 13.
2: I love it. Oh, even before yeah. Speed, even with Bill and Ted like it was, you know. Bill and Ted, Devil's Advocate, um Bram Stoker's Dracula, like there's he dog. Oh, he's done so much. I love it. So, um
3: there's a any, bomb on this bus.
2: Shoot the hostage.
3: I love him so much.
2: That's a great movie too. <laughs> Speed is a great movie. Uh
3: any final notes uh, from you on anything before uh, we head out? Um I just read a really good book. Any readers out there? I just read a really really good book called Just Mercy. It's by Bryan Stevenson. He is the founder and um the op- main operator or the, you know, the guy that uh, founded the Equal Injustice, Equal Injustice. Oh shoot! Come on, Kristen. <laughs> Equal Justice Initiative (EJI), and um, it's all about how Brian Stevenson is this Harvard Law graduate, and he came down to uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and he started working on getting innocent men off of death row for um, cases that were completely bogus. And he gets um, children out of life imprisonment and death row. And he weaves this beautiful story of just the injustices of our country, plus the minor victories that he's had laced with all of the um, real life cases that he's had over the last 25, 30 years. And it's just, it's, incredible I couldn't put it down I read it in less than three days
2: oh so it's it's so it's so a fiction novel right no <laughs> I know I was kidding oh <laughs> I know it's but not a fiction
3: it's really good but it's Just Mercy it's by Brian Stevenson if you're an audible person uh, I've heard that he actually narrates the book um, for the audible version of it so I highly recommend it highly recommend it
2: that's awesome Yeah, Um, You know what? While you're making a recommendation, I'm going to make one too. And I'm actually going to make this recommendation for a friend of mine, since we're talking about books. Um, I have a friend who is a ventriloquist comedian and his name is taylor mason and he is he's great i've known him for about like 20 years Uh, i have my spotlight podcast which is like my celebrity interview podcast which i haven't done anything with in a while but i'm already lining up guests to kind of relaunch it and bring it back and taylor who again he's somebody i've known for god probably so actually yeah 20 it's 2019 i've known him for 20 years um you know, he's been on Star Search and, uh, you know, less, com- less comic standing and he works for Disney and he does a ton of stuff. He actually wrote a book uh, as well that I- is available on Amazon. There's no audiobook yet, uh, although I might actually be the one working with him to record it, which is pretty cool. Um, he's going to be my first interview back on the spotlight. We're actually going to do a, uh, a video interview we're gonna videotape it so that we can get the puppets involved as well awesome which, which is going to be a lot of fun but his uh his book's called Taylor Mason irreversible it's available on Amazon it's available on Kindle uh, it's a great read um, taylormason.com is where you can find everything including videos and like pictures of his puppets and and everything so uh, that's more a quick pitch for him and because again he's been a friend of mine for years so if I could get the word out about the book I, I want to do it so, nice. And I'm look and I'm looking forward to that interview too, and getting the puppets involved and all too.
3: Mm-hmm. So which
2: which be a lot of fun, and I'll post that on Facebook and YouTube and and such as well. Um, I know while we've been recording this episode too, I've been seeing it pop up all over Facebook, and I can't watch it yet. But apparently, by the time you're he- you guys are all hearing this, I will have watched it probably twenty times. Uh, but apparently, the trailer for Zombieland Two has dropped. Oh, cool! And I'm just like oh, Dave will be
3: really excited about that.
2: I, I love that. I love the first one. And I'm kind of like, now I'm like itching to watch it. And I'm like, all right, as soon as we're done, I'm going to be watching it. Uh, but yeah, but I think that pretty much wraps it up. We're almost at two hours. So
3: yeah, let's stop.
2: <laughs> yeah. Let's wrap it up. Cause two hours is a long time to talk. Too so uh, thank you as always for everybody for listening and following along with us. Make sure you get us in feedback for season three. Uh, we'll start doing more and more with that. But um, I think, think that's it unless there's anything
3: else from you nope I'm good watch Stranger Things uh, it's very good
2: yes agreed uh cool so then with that being said uh we'll see you guys further on down that rabbit hole take care
3: the never ending story da